you would, open your Bible to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Thank you so much for being with us on Easter today as we think about what it means to follow the resurrected Jesus. If you guys are here with family and you got little ones in the room, I'm so thankful you can be together on, on Easter Sunday. Hopefully, before or after this service, you'll make your way to the Happy, Happy Easter Hall. Our children's staff did an incredible job on that hallway. Just so thankful for them and their ministry to kids and families. And so hope you make it over there. If your kids get restless during the service sometime or, or your spouse starts to act up, you can go out in the uh, lobby. We've got the service out there. You can be a part of that. I want you to just enjoy being here as a family. Let me also say, end of the service. After I finish preaching, I want to pray over us. And then we'll stand together and sing uh, a new Easter song that we've been learning over the last few weeks here at Emmaus. During that song, there's going to be an opportunity for you to respond to the gospel message, to, to trust in Jesus, maybe to recommit your life to him in a new way today. We're going to be down here at the front. You'll be able to do that during that song. But when the service is over, your chance to respond hasn't, hasn't ended. We will stay down here at the front. Plus, if you're like, you know what? I need to talk to somebody about faith, but there's no way I'm going to do that in person today. Use one of those cards in the seat back in front of you um, or that QR code. It'll allow you to, uh, to reach out to us. That video there, it's interesting to think about what it would have been like to experience the ministry of Jesus in Holy Week if we, they had social media around uh, at, at the time, what it would have been like for that experience. Something tells me that the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave would not have gone over very well on Facebook and Twitter. Things like, love your enemy and turn the other cheek. I'm not sure that would have been received really well. But you think about what it is to live in a world of social media when information comes at us so quickly. There's a verse I want to show you in Acts chapter 17 that I think is so helpful for this idea. Look at Acts 17 verse 21. Paul's there in Athens and Luke tells us, that all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there in Athens would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Now sometimes when we read the Bible, we're always trying to ask the question, how do I take that Bible passage or what happened in the Bible and make it connect with contemporary life? And let's be honest, sometimes that's a little bit difficult. And then you get a verse like Acts 17, 21. Can you imagine living in a world where people spend their time doing nothing except talking about and exploring whatever is new? It's not hard to imagine. That's the world in which we live, where new products come at us all the time. You buy something, and then it's like the very next week there's an upgrade or a new product you should buy or something different or another model you should have. Uh, you think about clothing styles. Like, as a dad, you try really hard, you know, to kind of stay halfway in style, and then your kids are like, Dad, no. Like, that, no, that's so far. And then you just say, I'm just going to keep wearing this because 20 years from now, it'll be right in style. So you just keep, I'm actually ahead of the trend, not behind. Uh, you think about how quickly styles change. Think about how quick new information comes into our lives. I mean, you scroll through social media or you watch a 24-7 news channel, new information comes at us all the time. Part of what made last year so incredibly difficult was it seemed like we were getting new information, different information just constantly coming at us. When you live in that type of world, guess what? You get overwhelmed. 
And at some point, you even get paralyzed by this new information that's constantly coming at you. So many studies talking about increases in anxiety and depression and loneliness in our world, some of that has to be attributed by just the overload of information that we live with. In that type of situation, whether it's ancient Athens or 2021 Oklahoma, how do you cut through the noise and say what really matters? Because when you're bombarded with new information, at a certain point, you're like, what does it even matter? What, what really is important in my life? What can I hang my life on? What we're going to find in Acts chapter 17 this morning on Easter Sunday is I want to show you three foundations that Paul gives the people in Athens to say, in a world where everything feels new and overwhelming, this is what really matters. And we're going to use a model. If you're around um, Emmaus, this particular design, this particular model is going to look really familiar to you. If you're new to Emmaus, this is something we use because we just find it as a really uh, straightforward, easy way to talk to people about Christianity. It starts in the top left with God's design for the world. God is the one who's designed and created the world for his glory. When we move away from God's design, that's the fancy word sin. Sin just means we are moving away from our devotion to God, our commitment to his way, and sin always leads to brokenness. Brokenness and difficulty and pain and death and all those squiggly lines going out to the right, those are our human attempts to escape the brokenness of this world. And every human attempt to deal with brokenness in the world leads further from God. The only way to get back to God is when we repent and we believe the gospel, the good news about Jesus, and it leads us to live the life that God designed us to live. Now kids, those of you who are pre-K, through 6th grade, through 12th grade, through whatever grade you might be in, I want to show you something we've started using. And if you guys have scrap paper in front of you this morning, um, your parents got something for you to write on, adults, this is a good way to think about the Christian life, to think about the story of the Bible. You draw a circle, and you just draw an up arrow inside that circle. Everything points to God. He's the one who created everything. He's the one who's in control. You draw an arrow out to the right. When we go away from God, that leads to a circle with an X in it. That's the brokenness and the pain and the death that we face in our world where everything seems messed up. And a bunch of squiggly lines, that's everybody's attempt to try to make their life better on their own. But our only hope is to lead back to the cross, that circle there at the bottom, and that allows us to live our lives for God. Now here's what I want to do. I want to show you in Acts chapter 17 where Paul follows that exact model. Look in verse 22. Acts chapter 17, verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. That word religious there has the idea of, of superstitious. So we live in a world where even with declining church attendance and less interest in organized religion, we live in a world where people are still quite spiritual and interested in spiritual things. For a long time, there was a thought that with the rise of science and the rise of technology, people would kind of go away from religion. Actually, that's not happened at all. You find people who continue to be spiritual and superstitious. Uh, I think about playing baseball uh, throughout my childhood in high school, in baseball, when we were running from the dugout to the field, 
there was no way you were going to step on the first base or third base chalk line because that would destroy the inning. Um, few people in the world are more superstitious than baseball players uh, where you're just like, there's no way I'm going to do this because something's going to go wrong. We live in a world, lots of science, lots of technology. Guess what? Still a lot of interest in spiritual things. Still a lot of superstition in the world around us. Look at what Paul does with that type of world. Verse 23. He says, As I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. So here's Athens, a city of great philosophy, a city of great architecture, but a city with a lot of idols and and a lot of temples there. Here's the deal. Every one of us, whether you consider yourself spiritual or not, whether you come to Easter service out of respect for family and friends or whether you're really devoted here, here's the deal. We all worship something. Every single person on the planet worships something. We give our devotion, our allegiance, our attention, our time, our money, All of us worship something, whether it's the true God or not. We give our devotion. This is what was happening in Athens. But guess what? They went one step further. (laughs) They said, you know what? If we missed a God, we're going to have an altar to the unknown God. So this was an attempt in a world with all these different gods. What if we actually missed out on the one true God? And so they have an altar to the unknown God. Now watch what Paul does in verse 24. Paul says... What, or I guess it's middle of 23, sorry. Middle of 23, Paul says, What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So Paul's a preacher. He, he's not going to miss his chance here to explain to the Athenians, Hey, that unknown God that you're uncertain about, let me tell him, tell you about him. Because, remember, their world is obsessed with all this new information that's coming. We live in a world where if you don't know the answer to your spelling test at home, you just ask Alexa. Um, or, or if you forget the lyrics to a song, you just Google it. Or if you're looking to waste 450 years of your life, you just log on to YouTube or uh, Netflix. And there's all this information that comes at us. We don't lack information, and we don't lack options of gods to devote ourselves to, but we do lack wisdom. And we do lack clarity. And we do lack attention to what really matters. And so Paul sees his chance and he says, you know, let me tell you about that unknown God because I think you really want to devote yourself to that God. Verse 24. This God, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Paul says this unknown God all these new ideas and new gods that are coming, he counters and looks to the past and says, this God, he's the OG. He's the original God. He's the one who is the creator of everything that exists. You've been chasing after something new. What you were really looking for was the one who created all things. Everything exists because God is the one who has caused it to exist. Remember how our our pattern works up on the screen. The first foundation for our life is recognizing that God is creator. The first foundation in a world where you're overwhelmed with experiences and new information and all these gods to give yourself to is to remember there is one true God who is the creator of all things. That is the foundation for our life. 
Now, what is that God like? What does it look like to respond to him? Verse 25, this God, he's not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. In the ancient world of ancient Athens, as they would talk through these different mythologies and different gods that existed, there were several stories that the gods created humans because they needed slaves. The gods created humans because they needed these people to do things for them, to provide for them. The creator God doesn't work that way. He doesn't create slaves, he creates children. He creates humans who will live in his world, bearing his image in the world, showing his love to the world, showing his goodness to the world. The false gods of the ancient world wanted slaves. And guess what? Contemporary idols, contemporary false gods will make you a slave of whatever they need. The one true God gives life and love. He pours out himself to love his children. Look at the next verse. Verse 26. This God, this creator God, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. In the ancient world, each culture or each area would have its own God. One of the things that tends to turn people off, frankly, to the Bible and to the story of Jesus is that in our contemporary world, what we're talking about this morning can feel like the Western God or worse yet, the American God or even worse yet, the white God. This God is only for a certain group of people. Can I tell you that the creator God is Lord of the entire universe and he is the creator of every person and every culture and he reigns sovereign over every location in the world. Next verse, verse 27. What's the purpose of his creation? that we should seek him, that we should know him, and perhaps feel our way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said. So Paul is drawing from the Athenians' own poets. We are indeed his offspring. One of your personal frustrations with God may be that he can seem so distant from you. Like, whatever you're going through, it seems like, yeah, maybe God does exist as a creator, but he feels so far away. He, he feels so distant from what's going on in my life. And right here, we find that this God we're talking about, the creator God, he created all things, but he is absolutely present with his creation, which takes us to verse 29. Being then God's offspring, knowing that this is true, that we are his children, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. This creator God is not a God that we shape for our purposes. He is the one who created us. So the first foundation, if you're taking notes this morning, point number one is in a world where you are overwhelmed with all these new ideas and new things that come, God is creator. Which means... We are not independent creatures. God doesn't depend on us. We depend on him. God acts and we respond. He is the one who sets the agenda. He is the one who establishes the design. He is the one who calls us to know him and trust him and worship him. Which 
Tagging on another point there, when you feel absolutely overwhelmed by the world and all this information that comes to you, you know one of the best things you can do? Just get out in creation. Just break away from the screen, break away from the onslaught that's going on in your life, back away from that and get out in creation and remember that God is creator, that he is good and loving and wise and powerful and at work in our world. And so we know how quickly when you're sitting in front of a screen and when it seems like every day brings a new challenge and a new problem and it feels like you're constantly trying to get ahead and find your identity, slow down. Get out in creation and remember the foundation for our life is that God is creator. Every one of us has to determine who or what we will worship with our life. You will worship something. Something will get your attention. Something will get your devotion. Something, frankly, will get your time and money. What am I giving my life to? So God is creator. Now, look at what Paul does when he shifts the conversation here in the next verse. In verse 30, he says, the times of ignorance, so the times of not knowing or not trusting or not worshiping this God, this God has overlooked, he's patient. But now, he commands all people everywhere to repent. Now this verse is important because it reminds us that the Bible didn't end in Genesis chapter two. So Genesis chapter one and two, God's creation, God's good design, God's work in the world. What happens in Genesis chapter three? Adam and Eve don't stop believing there is a creator. They just stop believing that he's worth trusting. And they begin to turn away. And they begin to go their own way. And when we turn away from God's design, it it leads to brokenness and death. And what is the call here? The call is to repent. The call is to recognize that I'm giving my life to something that is a false god, to an idol. And the call is to repent. And this morning... On Easter Sunday morning, the call for your life might be to repent. It might be that I realize I've been living my life for myself. I've turned away from God's design. If he is the creator, I don't particularly care about that. I'm going to go my own way, do my own thing, and the call is to repent. And can I just tell you that that is not just a call directed at any one person? Who's supposed to repent in this verse? All people everywhere. Because every one of us, in some way, has turned away from worship of God, from trusting him. There's none righteous, no, not one. None of us, ultimately, has perfectly given ourselves to the Lord. And so the call is to repent. Now remember what this looks like. If you're drawing this, kids, on your piece of paper, remember what this looks like. That we've gone away from God's design, and it's led to brokenness. And it reminds us, that God is judge, that God is holy and good and wise, and when we turn, it leads to brokenness. There's judgment that comes. Now look in verse 31, because you see that judgment playing itself out. In verse 31, we find that God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. Most people, not everybody, but most people are okay when we talk about creation. You're like, yep, that's good. I love God's creation. I love the idea that he is creator. The problem is when we start to talk about judgment. This is the reality that there is eternity. 
that this life is not the end of the story and that one day we do stand before our maker, that one day we do stand before the creator and that he will judge in all righteousness, which means we don't settle things with God on our own terms. It always makes me nervous when I come to the time of maybe caring for a family around the time of a funeral or you hear someone talk about their life and they say, I've made my peace with God. I've, I've, I've settled my debts with God. Can I just shoot straight with you? We don't make our peace with God. God has provided peace through his son, Jesus Christ. And so he will judge us in all righteousness by the one, his son, that he has appointed. And so in this moment, Paul is speaking to the Athenians, and he's saying, remember, there will be judgment. And your judgment is not based on how good you were, how much righteousness you brought. It's based on something else. Thankfully, there's another half to that verse, or we'd be in a lot of trouble. Look at the next half to that verse. Of this, he is given assurance. The reality of judgment and the hope of righteousness, he's given assurance of these things by raising his son from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus shows that this life is not the end of the story. And don't miss what Paul has done in this moment, in this sermon that he gave in Athens. So he reached to the past and he said, hey, one foundation for your life is that God is creator. We're not independent. We exist because God created all things. Then he goes all the way to the future and he says, remember, there is judgment. There is an eternity beyond this life. So he does the past, God's creator. He does the future, God is judge. And the resurrection falls right in the middle of history. The resurrection is the core of this story because in the resurrection, we find that the, what Jesus did on the cross is true and we find out that the promise of new creation is certain, that all that God has planned for his people, that all of his good promises are true in Jesus because of Easter Sunday, because of the power of the resurrection. And don't forget the flip side of this that comes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow you die. No resurrection? This is life is all that exists. Man, chase every new experience you get. Live for this world. Frankly, live however you want. But if there is a resurrection, that changes everything because God the creator, we go away from him and it leads to brokenness and pain and death and God does bring judgment. But we repent and we turn back to him through his son, Jesus Christ, what Jesus did on the cross and through the resurrection, and then that leads us to live in that resurrection power according to God's good design. Now, here's the interesting thing. Paul presents this sermon in Athens, and then at the very end of chapter 17, Luke shows us three responses to this Easter message about the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 32 some people mocked what Paul was saying. A creator God, one creator God, there's only one God who created all things, and you're really telling me there's going to be an eternal judgment, that one day this creator God, we stand before him, and on top of that, you're gonna tell me 
that a dead man came back to life and that makes all the difference. There, there was a mockery. There's an idea of, sure, that's, that's good for you, but not for me. Or, or yeah, I'll go along with that, but it's not going to really impact the way I live. Some people mocked what Paul was saying, this idea of the resurrection of the Easter story. Some people, though, heard what Paul was saying. Creator, ah, it's hard to get my head around, but that seems really important. If there is an eternal judgment, I would definitely like to know about that. And if a dead man did come back to life, that seems particularly important. I want to know more. <laughs> and for a lot of the people that Paul speaks to, there is desire to know more. And if I could just slow down just for a moment and say, if that's you, if you're not the type of person who's going to quickly believe something like this, pretty skeptical, a little bit cynical, you think this is important but you're not sure, don't leave those questions open-ended. Those questions are important. Those questions are foundational. Don't find yourself chasing every new idea when right here we have something to hang your life on. That if you do have questions about this, catch me afterward. Fill out that card in the back of the seat back in front of you and put it in one of the boxes as you leave or take a picture of that QR code and reach out. Do not leave with those open-ended questions. It is good. It's a sign of God's work in your life that you want to know more about these things. And then don't miss the last response. There were some people who heard about the resurrection and said, yep, that's exactly what I need. And I'm going to give my life to that. That is exactly what I've been looking for. And we repent from all the other things we've given our life to. And we trust in Jesus. And then we display that belief through baptism. What makes baptism so amazing is it's a picture of the resurrection. When we sit down with kids and talk to them about baptism, we talk about when you go down into the water, it's a picture of death, how Jesus died for us. And then when you come up out of the water, it's a picture of the resurrection. That because of Jesus' resurrection, we have eternal life through him. And so you may be here this morning, and yeah, you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, but you've never displayed that through your life. You've never shown that to people through baptism. We would love to talk to you about what that looks like. And you find there in verse 34 of Acts 17 that it's not only that they believed, but they joined and believed. They connected with those whose lives were devoted to Jesus. The resurrection not only changes your life individually, but it connects you with the body of Christ. Be careful about a form of Christianity that feels very lone ranger. I'm going to do this on my own. God's creator. God's judge. The resurrection changes everything. And I pray on Easter Sunday morning that you would devote yourself to that, that that would be true for you. Let me pray for us right now. Father, as we prepare to sing this final powerful Easter song together this morning. God, we know that it will not take long this afternoon of going through social media or something happening tomorrow at work where something new is going to come into our life. It just comes so fast. And it's so easy to be overwhelmed. There are certainly people here this morning who just feel completely overwhelmed by life. And God, in the middle of that, we thank you for Easter. God, we thank you that you are creator, that you are in charge of the world and not us. And God, we recognize that you are judged, that this life is not the end of the story, that all of us stand before our maker one day. And God, we thank you for the cross and the resurrection. God, we gather here on Easter Sunday morning 
as those who recognize that the resurrection changes everything. And God, if there's somebody here this morning who has been very apathetic about their faith, very disconnected from your word and from church, or maybe someone who, who believes in private, but they've never displayed that through baptism, God, I pray that today would be a day of action. God, don't let us leave this room without considering these questions, about considering our commitment to you. And God, even this final song that we've seen, God, use that to draw us back to Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.